Are there things in your life that you would like to change? Things that you wish were different? I'm sure that we can all think of several things in our lives, but is there something specific that you just think of that just pops in your mind? That's the first thing you would love to change. See some nodding heads? I believe that there are two categories that the things that we think of that we would like to change fall into. One is something we can do something about, right? We've just been lazy or we need to rearrange some things. We just haven't gotten to it, but we can do something about it. But then there is that other category, the one where it doesn't really seem that we have the power to do anything about. Sometimes it can be a sickness that we know we have for life, or maybe it's a consequence of something that we have done that we know is just going to be there for the rest of our lives. Or maybe it's a person. We would like to smack this person around, change them, shake them, make them different, but we can't, can we? Because we cannot change someone else. Well, I believe that in this category, it is really only God who can intervene. This is something that only God can do. And we see God acting in our lives, in other people's lives, so we know that he can do things, that he's all-powerful. But there are also times when God does not intervene. And we question why. Why does God not always change every circumstance, everything that we want to change? Well, I believe that the story today gives us a little bit of an insight into why God does that. It doesn't mean that it gives us the full answer because God is God and I'm not, right? So we don't know everything. But the Bible does give us some hints. And the story about the unloved wife is one of them. But just before I go into this story, I want to make one thing clear. I am not the unloved wife. <laughs> just in case some of you wondered, I actually have an incredible husband that I'm married to who loves me. <laughs> so we heard last week about Jacob who stole his brother's blessing. And now Esau is extremely angry at him and he vows to kill him. His mom hears about it and she says, you need to run. You need to go to my family near Haran and stay there until Esau just cools down. And so Isaac blesses him, this time for real, and they send him off. But he has a problem. He's sent away without any gifts for a bride. They tell him, you need to go and find a wife over there. But he's not given anything. So what is he going to do? He's going to have to work for this wife. And perhaps the father knew that and he just thought that, well, it might be good for Jacob to do something like that. And so they don't send him with anything. He would have to arrange with the family for how many years he would work for the wife that he would get so that then he could receive the dowry. When Jacob arrives to Padan Aram, he meets two sisters. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29 and 30. So go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 29 
and 30. And he meets the two sisters, and there is a description of the two sisters in verse 17. That is really the only time we see something about them. And it says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. It says, Rachel had it all. She was a beautiful woman. But about Leah, it says she had delicate eyes. Well, I used to think that that meant that she had beautiful eyes, and then Rachel just had everything else beautiful, right? But that's not what commentators say. That is not what that means. It really doesn't have anything about a compliment for Leah. It says that her eyes were weak. But what I like to think is that it does not just refer to her eyes, but that this word that's used there is referring more to who she was. Because this word also means tenderness, gentleness, and softness. So she was a woman of a more gentle personality. And people with a more gentle personality get overlooked, don't they? They get stepped on by people with more powerful, dominant personalities. But they just grin and bear it. They don't complain. But it will still hurt on the inside. She was probably never told that she was beautiful, even as a little girl. And we know how this is. We've done this before, where we see a little girl and she's beautiful and we just say, oh, what a beautiful little girl you have. And then we see a, a little girl or a boy that's not as beautiful, right? And we say, oh, um, what a cute kid you have. I know you've done it. I'm not the only one. I am one of three sisters. And people in the Czech Republic are very blunt. And they would always choose which one of us they thought was the most beautiful one. And because they were so blunt and straightforward, they would just let us know. So I was never in a doubt about who thought which one of us was the most beautiful. And when I was little, I didn't like that so much. Now, when people say, oh, you have a beautiful sister, I think, yeah, that's awesome. I root for my sisters. But when I was little, I thought that if somebody said she's beautiful, that meant that I was not. And psychologists tell us that girls need to be told that they are beautiful from when they are very little. Before they get married, they need to hear it from their dads especially. As often as possible. And after they get married, they need to hear it from their husbands. There's never a time where that should stop. Amen. <laughs> it's some, for some reason, it just helps women to handle life better. But unfortunately, from what I see in this story, I do not think that their dad, Laban, was very affirming or that he freely gave compliments. You see, he was a greedy man. And we see that from the first time that we meet him, that his life goal was riches. The first time we hear about him is in Genesis chapter 24, so you can flip a few pages back. Genesis chapter 24, and in verse 30. And this is where Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac, for Rebekah. And the servant gives her gifts. 
And now it says that Laban, after he sees her, runs back out to meet this man. But why does he run out? In verse 30 it says, it came to pass when he saw, he saw what? The nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And then he heard the words that she said. He says, thus this man spoke to me. He went to the man. And then it says one more thing. And there he, the man, stood by the camels at the well. The author is making sure that he's letting us know that we should pay attention to the sequence of this. This man, it, he does not say, he notices that this man is by the well. He says, he notices first that this man has camels and that he is at the well. A person with camels would be someone today who has a garage full of luxurious cars because camels only belong to the richest of the rich. And now he thinks that there is something in there for him. And so he runs out because maybe he'll get something too from this man. He was a greedy man. And so Leah and Rachel grew up in a household that was all about stuff, not about relationships. It was about how, what more can we get, not about what can I give and what can we do for each other. How can we be there for each other? They probably never heard the words, I love you, or I'm proud of you. We also don't know anything about their mom because she's not mentioned. So she either had passed away already or she just had no say in anything that happened in that household. Now we get to verse 15 in Genesis chapter 29. Jacob has been with Laban for a month. And Laban comes to him and says, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? It's not that Laban really wants to give him something, but it is the polite thing to do. And so Jacob responds in verse 18, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And then he gives the reason, because Jacob loved Rachel. Now, remember, I just said that he's only been there for a month. But he is in love with Rachel. And we actually know that from the start, from the first time he sees her, he falls in love at first sight. Well, that's kind of a misnomer because it doesn't really exist. I do not believe that people can fall in love at first sight, but they can get infatuated at first sight, right? And that's exactly what happens to him. He comes in and he sees shepherds, three shepherds with their flocks. He comes to them and says, do you know Laban? I said, of course we know Laban. And in fact, his daughter Rachel is just walking towards us. And so he sees her and he says, okay, well, why don't we water her sheep? And the guys say, oh, no, we don't do that here. We wait until everybody comes together because the stone is a little heavy. So we just all push it off by, self, by all of us together. And at that moment, Rachel comes close to him and he sees who she is. And he's just starstruck. And he suddenly turns into a Superman because he runs off to this well and he pushes the stone off the well and he waters her flock. Don't tell me that he was not in love at first sight. Jacob loved Rachel. And so he offers to work for her for seven years. And everything goes smoothly. It says that seven years seemed like a few days to him, 
because he was in love with her. But then after those seven years, when he asked for a hand in marriage, everything goes awry. Let's read it, starting with verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to her. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? On the day of the wedding, Laban takes Leah instead. And Jacob, he has been so excited about this day that he cannot wait for this wedding night that he does not even notice that she was switched. <laughs> Until morning, when he just turns around and to his horror, realizes this is a different woman. And so he comes up to Laban and he says, what, what have you done? And Laban says, well, we don't do that here. We don't give the younger before we give the older, so you need to take the older first. All you need to do is fulfill her one week, and then don't worry, I'll still give you Rachel. Laban does not care for his daughter's happiness or that he is creating a rift in the family from the start. All he cares about is that Jacob is making him successful. And he's always been about riches, we have seen it, but he was not rich, not until Jacob comes into his life. And then suddenly, because God is blessing him, his wealth just starts growing, and he doesn't want to lose Jacob. And so he just says, well, and by the way, you just need to wait, work for another seven years for me. And Jacob, because he is an honorable man and does not want to shame Leah, says okay. But in order for this plan of Laban's to work, he needed Leah to be compliant. Well, her personality was of someone who was more of a gentle spirit. And they probably didn't have much say about what it was that their father wanted them to do. So she goes along with it. But I believe that there is one other reason why she went along with it. Even though she knew that Jacob had eyes only for Rachel, she had fallen in love with him herself. And it makes perfect sense as we keep reading the rest of the story. It's not surprising. He was always around. He was a great guy. And so now finally she says, well, maybe this is my chance. Maybe if I marry him, I will have someone who loves me. But unfortunately, because she did that and she deceived him, he didn't really want to have anything to do with her. Ellen White, one of my favorite Christian writers, writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, the fact that Leah herself was a party to the cheat caused Jacob to feel that he could not love her. But, wait. 
Didn't Jacob deceive someone as well? The next part of the story is all about this jealousy and rivalry that's going on between the two wives and the fighting. More accurately, the fighting is about having children. Leah wants Jacob to love her back, and her whole life she's just been pushed aside. And now she's married, but I'm pretty sure that there were many days that she went to sleep crying. Because she was still alone. So she started clinging to this hope that maybe if she can give Jacob a child, then he will love her. Because women at that time, if you gave, if you gave children, and the more you had, the more valuable and important you were. And so she thought, well, maybe since I will give him more children than Rachel, then he will love me. And she didn't have to wait very long because it says in verse 31 that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and he opened her womb. God sees what's going on in her life. He knows that what she did was wrong. She could have told him. But God also knows why she did it. Because all she wanted was love. And unfortunately, that desire has driven many women into the arms of the wrong man. Verse 32 says that she has a son and names him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. The word Reuben comes from the word that I, ah, which means to see. So she's saying, God sees me. He sees my affliction. And the word for affliction is the same one that's used about the Israelites. That the Israelites, when they were oppressed in Egypt, were going through affliction and pain and misery. This is the way she describes her life as misery. She says, but now God, he has to love me. So she has another son, Simeon. Simeon comes from the word shamat, to hear. So now she says, God, yes, he saw me, but now God hears me as well. And so he's given me another son. Well, now Jacob will have to love me, won't he? She has a third son, names him Levi. Levi comes from the word lava, to join together, to be bound to someone, to attach to someone. So she's saying, now my husband will be attached to me. He will be mine. But once again, that doesn't happen. And then we have the fourth son that is mentioned. And she gives him the name Judah. It's very interesting because Judah does not follow the same pattern that she has been doing this whole time. Judah has nothing to do with, will my husband love me? Because the name means, comes from the word give thanks. And she just says, I will praise the Lord. She suddenly realizes that all that she has is from God. But now, Rachel gets jealous. She sees that her, that her sister has children, and so she tells Jacob, if you don't give me children, I'm going to die. 
She's not having children, so she takes her maid, Bilhah, and she says, here, Jacob, you take her and have kids with her, and they'll be mine. And Jacob does, and she has two sons. She names them. Rachel is the one who names them because they were hers. Dan and Naphtali. Dan comes from the word judge. So she says, God has judged my case and heard my voice, given me a son. And then Naphtali, she says, listen to what she says. With great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and indeed I have prevailed. Because the name is about wrestling. Can you believe that? Everything in this family is about having children. It's more important than anything else. More important than love and gentleness and being kind to each other. More important than God. More important than even Jacob's love where the whole thing started. It's all about winning. If I win and you lose, that's the only time I'm going to be happy. Well, I could make a case for them. They didn't know any better. They were brought up in a household where no one taught them what a real relationship was like. And then their father set them up for failure. And, and think about Jacob, the same thing. He comes from a family of favoritism. His mother loved him, and his father loved his brother. And so now he does the exact same thing. We could excuse them. Well, now Leah sees that Rachel is having children through her, through her maidservant, and she says, oh, no, no, she cannot be catching up to me with her two children. I got to have children. I got to have more children. So she takes her servant, Zilpah, and gives her to Jacob as well. And Jacob has two more sons with her, Gad and Asher. And then something interesting happens. We're in verse 14. Now, Reuben, it says, the oldest boy, went out in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Mandrakes don't mean anything to us, but at that time, mandrakes were believed to promote fertility. And so they want the mandrakes. Which I'm not really sure why, because four boys in four years, I'm not sure that's really a blessing. <laughs> so they're arguing for these mandrakes. And then she says to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, okay, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And then Leah goes out into the field to meet Jacob because she doesn't want to do this in front of her sister. And she tells him this. You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. I have surely hired you? Really? That's the kind of marriage that you have? That you have to hire your own husband? Can you see the pain that she's projecting even through just this one statement? She is a woman unloved and she is 
desperately trying to change it. Amazingly, she went to Jacob not for a child, but for that touch and the love that she wanted. But then it says that God listened to Leah. He saw what is going on, and so gives her a child, another one. And she has two more boys. One is Issachar, and the other one is Zebulun. Unfortunately, the story about these women ends with this statement. After she has Zebulun, she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. She's still holding on to that hope. And we can't blame her. And then finally it says that Rachel has a child and she gives birth to Joseph because God heard her as well. What a sad story of an unloved wife. But was she really unloved? Or did she just not see the one who truly loved her? Because God keeps appearing over and over and over in the story, showing her, I'm here for you. I love you. I'm crazy about you. And when I see that you are sad, I want to fix it. I want to help you. She thought that the only thing she needed was the love of her husband. And then and only then will she be happy. But interestingly, Rachel had that, didn't she? Rachel was loved. Was it enough? No, because she wanted a child. And then when she has Joseph, she names him Yosef, which comes from the word Yosef, which means to add. So she's not even happy with the one child. She wants more. She needs more children. Because isn't it true that there is always more for us to want? And the reality is, there is never going to be another person who can fulfill us. There's no way that in our marriage, I am going to be everything that my husband needs. And there's no way that he is going to be everything that I need. Because that's not how God created us. We're humans, we're not God. Only God can be everything to me and to my husband. And he can be there when we fail each other. God doesn't always change our circumstances. He doesn't always change the things that we want changed. Because his primary focus is changing us. Is it possible that when he doesn't change our circumstances, that maybe he's wanting to teach us something? About seven years ago, I was diagnosed, well, it took a while to be diagnosed. By the end, when I was diagnosed, it just gave me a different kinds of chronic pain diseases and they just told me, here, take this for your pain. Uh, that's all we can do for you. Your pain will eventually just keep getting worse and worse as you live. You just have to learn how to live with it. And they gave me websites to look up of people who live with chronic pain. 
And I thought, what? This can't be. God, can you change that? And I started searching, figuring out what it is that is wrong with me. And it took about four to five years before someone finally said, maybe you should do a blood test and see if you have Lyme's disease. And I did. And that's what I have. But the Lyme's disease that I have is a chronic Lyme's disease. But I praise God because although he didn't take it away, he also didn't leave me in it. And I have been getting better and better, despite of what people told me. But during that time, was, those were also the years that we could have had children. But I was sick. And so we couldn't have children. And I was never the kind of woman like Rachel where, give me children or I'm going to die. Right? And thankfully, my husband was not like that either. But there were definitely times when I thought about it, and there are still times when I think about it, and I think, couldn't you change that, God? But I've been learning that God does not change every circumstance because he wants to change us. Because he wants to change me, and he's been working on me, teaching me that when I am in the worst pain, there were days when I could not even get up and I still had to do things. He would always send something to encourage me. And every time I had to preach or speak somewhere, he would give me strength that I didn't even know was possible. I know that God has called me to do work for him. And I do not have to be only happy if I have children. Because there is always more that I could want, isn't there? God does not remove certain things from our lives because he did not promise that our lives will be perfect. But he did promise that he will love us, that he will never abandon us, that he will always be crazy about us, and that he will make us new if we let him. Is it possible that God is trying to teach you something today as well? Will you let him? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love for us. And even when we don't understand things, Help us to trust in you. Because we don't need everything this world has to offer in order to be happy. What we need is you. Work in us, Lord, so that you are the one that we go to for everything and that we let you be the one who changes us and that we let you be everything. I pray this in your name. Amen.